a lot of Philadelphia people are probably still wondering if you have interest in coaching again. I would never say never to anything, to be honest with you. Uh, it's not something I'm planning on or thought too much about. I, I've had an unbelievable career. Uh, I just, I've met some of the best people ever in America. But it's been, a, it's been an unbelievable ride, so I'm, I'm grateful, really grateful. And, and again, when I reflect, and I reflect a lot, I, I walk a lot, and in my reflections, I, I pinch myself thinking of how lucky I've been. Cast coming to you from Temple University. Eggie and I are here with Mr. Big Five Fran Dumphy, former coach of the Temple Owls and the most winningest coach in Philadelphia Big Five history. Coach, thanks for having us. My pleasure, fellas. Not something that I have done a lot of podcasting. I've done a couple. And to be with you two guys today, I'm sure will be an enlightening experience. Coach, this is a walk down memory lane for us. It really is, because I was a St. Joe's guy. I'll say that quietly around here. But, so I, we were both 14, 2014 graduates. I would come here a lot to hang with Ian, who was out here, and then we had another one of our best friends is at Temple, too. The next year, we moved down right off of Vine and uh, spent a lot of time down at Temple even after that. A lot of days at Maxie's, draft horse, isn't that what it's called? Yeah. What else? So, Coach, star. <laughs> yeah, I was an under, undergrad here, like Aggie said, and I actually went yeah. to grad school here uh, pretty much right away after finishing up undergrad. And I haven't been back in like two years. The campus has changed. It's crazy. Yeah, in my short tenure here, this is my 14th year here, the campus has changed dramatically uh, to include the new library right in the middle of campus, which uh, is a, a gorgeous place. and and a meeting place for so many people. But uh, you know, it's simple things like doing the bell tower over again, the, the Morgan Hall complex dormitories, which are phenomenal. And then just everything has changed. And it, it will continue to do so, it looks like. It, uh, that's what happens in these universities. And I, I think Temple has a special place in Philadelphia. I think it's the school for the everyman here, from uh, honor students to people that are trying to you know, go to night school and get degrees. and uh, It's an amazing place, and, and not the least of which is the hospital up the street, uh, a number of blocks, which really serves a tremendous population here in North Philadelphia and is such a key ingredient as to what this place is all about. So I'm thrilled to have been able to work here for as long as I have and to see the quality of people and to see what impact it has had on that Temple has had on the city of Philadelphia. Well, one change that I really embraced my junior year was McGonagall Hall, putting those rec courts mm -hmm. up on the third floor there, and they were brand new and they were amazing, and I actually ran into you in the elevator and we had a short conversation years ago. We talked about where Eggie and I went to high school, Trinity High School, we talked about where you were from and your connection to Trinity, which is the Morrises. So. That was an interesting... Amongst others. There's more, more than that as well. So, But Trinity is very much a part of, of uh, 
college basketball because there's been so such uh, Mikey Walker, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another guy, and uh, Tara Toomey, who married uh, one of our assistant coaches, Matt Langle, who was also a player of mine at the uh, University of Pennsylvania. So there's a lot yeah. of stuff that uh, that's out there about Trinity High School. So. Yeah, and Langle's got Colgate on the verge of the tournament this year. Is that right? Well, they made it last year and yep. gave Tennessee all they could handle in the first round, and they've yeah. had a really good year so far. Now they're they're poised to be uh, number one seed in their conference. Sure. Uh, but it's uh, anybody can win that conference, as you know. That's true. So Forgot yeah. about that connection, the Toomey connection. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And shout out to Trinity High School. They actually won their seventh straight district championship last night. That's Coach Coss. Camp Hill. So Coach Coslack's my uncle. Is that right? I, had, I had the great privilege of, of having that. Yeah, so he's, he's, <laughs> he's left quite quite a legacy at. Uh, he's amazing. At Trinity. Yeah, he he's really done a great is. Job. He really is. There's a lot of good Philly coaches around here, but I'm I'm biased. I think he's the best. That as well, it. you should be. You should be biased <laughs> in that situation. It's great. So, tell us about Philly basketball. I know you're you're you know a Big Five guy from Drexel Hills. That is that where you were born? I was born in uh, Southwest Philly. Okay. Then we moved to uh, Delaware County when I was ten, maybe something yeah. like that. And then went to Malvern Prep, LaSalle College, the United States Army. Uh, Malvern Prep is a coach and a teacher. LaSalle as an assistant coach, American U for five years as assistant coach, back to LaSalle for three more, one year at Penn as an assistant coach, and then I was lucky enough to get the job at Penn. And then in 2006, that was in 1989 when I got the job at Penn. And uh, in 2006, I moved here to succeed a legend in John Chaney. Not an easy job, uh, not an easy challenge, but uh, he made it. He made it good for me, Coach Cheney. He allowed me to feel like he wanted me to be here, and I was grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. What you just took us through leads us to Temple, where you were here for how long? Thirteen years as the head coach, and now this is my fourteenth year that I am I am here, and now just teaching, uh, speaking a lot of places, sometimes on campus, sometimes not, representing Temple as much as I can. I've done three video streams of LaSalle University basketball games, which has been interesting and fun. I don't think I'm any good at it, but I'm working at it and trying to be better at it. It's uh, It's been good. It's been really a lot of fun. And and, uh, and most of all, I have a 22-month-old grandson that I can't get enough of. So that's spending a lot of time with that as well. Very cool. So it was an interesting change from you to Aaron McKee. Can you talk about that transition at all? Yeah, I think it's a it's a, it's a great Philadelphia story. It's a great Temple story. Uh, Aaron coached with us for five years. Thought he was fabulous as a, an assistant basketball coach. I learned a lot in those five years from him, and now he the transition has been I think pretty smooth. I'll let somebody else uh, make their own judgment on how smooth it's been. Uh, but for me, it's been great. I've been to every game. I watch every game. We. We text or discuss after every game, not at length, just encouraging or being there for him. That's all I want him to know is that I'm there to support him, and I'm there to support the, the student athletes because most of them, just about every one of them, I recruited and and uh, worked with, and grateful for that relationship. Absolutely. All right. So we're doing this as a part of our coverage for March Madness, and you know, as 30 years as a head coach, you took your teams to. 
the dance 17 times. So can you take me back to that 92-93 season in which you had your first, was that your first trip to the NCAA tournament? Is that right? It was. All right, sure so you got UMass at the Carrier Dome. Now, when I was playing, I had one lucky chance to go, and we lost to UConn in the first round up in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that just because as a player, you know, I knew it was the only time I was going to get there. It was the last meaningful game I'd be a part of. I think thinking about it, asking people who coached in that situation is a lot different because, I don't know, there's a lot of different dynamics. But what were the first things that you thought of when you were going into it, um, you know, as you guys were preparing for that first game? Yeah, I don't I don't know how much I can recall exactly what my emotions were. I'm sure that I was filled with plenty of emotions, but it was just great to be in the tournament. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... Penn had not been there in a few years, and uh, so it was great to be in. And it was in my fourth year of coaching at Penn that we finally made it in. Uh, just a, a quick aside to that to that story is I had taken the job at, at Penn. I wasn't the first, second, or third choice, as I recall. I was maybe the fourth or fifth choice to get the job, and I just wanted the job, so they gave me a three-year contract. I would have taken a three-day contract. I just wanted the job. And in the first year we were 12 and 14, and the next year we were 9 and 17. And I went in to see my boss, and uh, we small talked for a little bit, and he slides this sheet of paper in front of me, and I look at it, and I ask him very plainly, I said, is there something wrong with you? And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you are aware that we went 12 and 14 and 9 and 17. And he said, yeah. I said, well, this is a new three-year contract. Why are you doing this? Uh, he said, because you guys, your staff has worked hard, got a good plan, you have good kids, you've recruited well, and you'll be fine. Don't worry. That following year, we went 16 and 10. We started to turn around a little bit. And then the following three years, we didn't lose a league game because we had really, really good players. But that kind of uh, support, vision, understanding of what young coaches go through doesn't happen always. And I was just grateful for Paul Rubenkamp, who was the AD, for that kind of confidence in me. So I owe him a lot. I owe him a lot. And that, uh, to include the fact that when we went to that first NCAA tournament, I, I was raw. Not that I haven't stayed raw. Uh, still trying to learn, still trying to get better at everything that I do. And, uh, but it was an impressive opportunity for us. And our, our team played pretty well. We just... We just didn't make enough shots that game. But the coaching against Calipari was interesting as well. He's a really good basketball coach. Phenomenal uh, programs that he's had at UMass and Memphis and Kentucky. And and uh, my sense is if he ever did get back into the NBA world, he'd be very good at, at it again as well. So uh, you mentioned Calipari. Are there any other coaches that really stood out as coaches that were very tough to coach against? Yeah, there's plenty. Uh, I would be, you know, obviously I coached against Dean Smith, uh, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, uh, various, and uh, John Beeline, so many, so many different people. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity that I've had to coach against the best. And, uh, and I've, uh, like Lon Kruger, who was at uh, the University of Florida, 
the following year when we played them. He was the head coach at the University of Florida. And so just coaching against these guys has just been a wonderful experience and, and uh, made me understand how good you have to be in order to compete at the highest level here. Yeah, and, and you guys didn't just compete. I mean, you win these games. I think most notably, you know, you think of that Duke game back in 12. That was a hell of a win for you guys. But I remember, I think it was Tennessee came into Leah Chorus the one year. You guys knocked them off. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were highly ranked. Yeah. And uh, th- we did. We played very well. We beat Kansas at the Wells Fargo as well, which okay. was another great win for us. So we've had our share of really good wins and against some really terrific programs. And the year that we did beat Duke... Uh, at the Wells Fargo, I can remember Mike Shashevsky saying that we lost to a really good basketball program, and uh, and that that made me feel good because I think the program has been phenomenal over the years. And that year was when I was a sophomore, so I w- remember watching that game on TV. I was back home, but our good buddy Mike Rom was there to storm the storm the court. Mm-hmm. So that game really sticks out in my memory, and guys like Juan Fernandez and Khalif Wyatt. Mm-hmm. I have great memories of watching at the Leah Chorus Center. So can you talk about going into the postseason, March Madness, with that particular team, the year you beat Duke, which I think was 2012, right? 2012, and, yeah, we had a I, – I don't know if it was a 2012 season or was it the 2012-13 season. So 11-12 or 12-13, I can't remember, to be honest with you. Uh, but in, if it was – the 2011-12 season, and I think we lost to South Florida in a I think it was yeah in a game that we had a lead in the first half and just couldn't find a way to score. Thereafter, if it was the next year, then we were lucky enough to beat uh, Penn State, and we lost. No, I'm sorry, that is not true. That would have been 10-11 season, beating Penn State. And then, yeah, we'll have to come back to that one. Yeah, yeah. and losing to San Diego State. But the other one was the 12-13 season with Khalif Wyatt when we beat uh, NC State in the first round and thought we had a really good chance to beat Indiana the next round. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Khalif Wyatt was his typical genius self on the offensive end against Indiana. He was just extraordinary. And the other guy that had made such an incredible impact on me as a basketball coach and on us as a program would be uh, Raleigh or Hollis Jefferson and win that game was back and forth coaching or defending uh, Oladipo on at one possession and then uh, Zeller in the other possession and just and guarding them equally as well. He was just spectacular. So I've had some really good guys to coach uh, to include a guy like Lavoy Allen who spent six years in the league and I oftentimes would refer to him as a guy who I think made four mistakes in four years. He was never out of position defensively. Uh, it was just a treat to coach him, uh, and he he made us a winner. To be honest with you, he was the guy that kind of set us apart. So, you know, ending the season, you kind of have your conference tournament, mm-hmm. and then you finish up and. You've been lucky enough to go to a bunch of March Madness tournaments. So what are some of the things you're thinking about as you approach that first game? Do you have more time to practice, less? And are you watching a ton of film? Sure. You know, you, you typically finish the season. Uh, we were lucky enough to, to win our conference tournament a number of times, so that's on a Sunday. You find out where you're going on Sunday night. You're scrambling to get films and, and 
be as good as be as well prepared as you possibly can, and you're typically leaving on Tuesday to go to wherever the next site is that you are going to. So there's a lot of, of hype, a lot of, of panic. There's a lot of excitement uh, that goes into all of that. But you're just trying to, to do the best you can, and you hope your guys are ready to go. There's not a lot of physical play in terms of preparation for those games. I think what most people are doing, and it's probably they're doing less today than they did even uh, five or six years ago when a, uh, that run that we had was uh, with the 12-13 team. You don't, you just don't, you're worried about their bodies at this point. You know, the, the practices are long, it's a long season, but you cut the practices back that you're on, at, on the court maybe an hour at a time. Uh, but you're doing a lot of mental work toward preparing for the next opponent. But it's fun. The, the whole thing is just a, a blast, and I hope that that's what everybody remembers about it. And I wish, if I have a regret, and I don't have too many of them, I, uh, one of them would be, uh, my biggest regret would be that Trey Lowe got hurt after his freshman, basically at the end of his freshman year playing basketball here at Temple. That's uh, absolutely the biggest regret. The other regrets are that we didn't do better in our uh, opportunities to get in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so um, you mentioned this game earlier with Penn State, so let's go back to 2010-11. You guys are a 7 seed, Penn State a 10. Mm -hmm. And ten, Penn State probably had their best year, probably this year was probably their best can, you know, compared to this last one. Mm -hmm. State had Taylor Battle, their leading scorer all time on that team. Mm -hmm. And we'll fast forward to the end of it. Right, Juan Fernandez has the ball at the top of the key with the five seconds left. Mm -hmm. I was watching this earlier. I gotta remember what happened. I gotta remember what happened. It was jogging my memory. So he gets a high ball screen, it looks like, at the top of the key. All right, but you walk me through that. You know, what were you guys playing for? Because of course, you know, he he has the ball, winds up making a floater, and you guys get the go-ahead to win by two. What were you guys thinking going into that out in Tucson to, to beat them? And what are we thinking about going into the last play? Yes. Pretty much getting it into the hands of your best player mm -hmm. and having a, you know, your best screener to put himself in that position, and that was LeBoy. And, uh, and then just allowing Juan to do his thing. You've got to trust in your players as much as you can. And we had run that particular set all year long. And just go make a play. You know, and it's not, I'd like to tell you how scientific it is. And yeah. Oh, you're, but you're really flying by the seat of your drawers, and you're just saying, you know, let's put it put it in Juan's hands at that point because he was a really good basketball player, really good decision maker, and he had enough guts and guile to put the ball in the basket and allows you to win the game. It was a terrific win for us, and and uh, and then the next game was a phenomenal game as well against San Diego State and Kawhi Leonard, and I, I thought we played well enough to win. I can remember a couple of plays. We had two breakaways that we didn't finish mm -hmm. that would have gotten us over the hump and gotten us to a Sweet 16 bit, but didn't happen for whatever the reason. Yeah. And how do you personally digest all that? Because, I mean, you had the highest of highs in 2010-11, mm -hmm. probably lowest of lows with Cornell the previous year. Mm -hmm. You get another low <laughs> right in 2016 with that tough loss against Iowa. Mm -hmm. And you're probably like, yeah, man, thanks for reminding me, <laughs> right? No, How reality? It's yeah. So, so I, you know, just seeing you. One thing that I always appreciated, Coach, was you know when the when the young kid from Sports Illustrated for Kids asked you the question after that Iowa game and your response, it just. You know, you kind of your demeanor seemed like how it was right now sitting with you. You know, you're very comfortable in your skin. You're just, you know, reflective and, yeah. and kind of present. So how do how do you how do you do that? Because I, 
as an aspiring coach, I, I struggle with that, you know, and, uh, you know, as, as young guys trying to make it in our careers, we try to figure out ways to, you know, remain even keel. It seems like you got it down pretty good. Yeah, I'm not sure I do, but I, I appreciate you saying that. But I, I think at, at some point you work so hard during the course of the weeks and the months and uh, however long it, you're preparing your team, and then when the game's over, you've done your best, and that's the way it is. And would I like to have uh, had that last call against Iowa go for us rather than go against us? Yeah, that would have been great if, if they called a push on one of the Iowa guys and uh, Obi got a chance to go to the line and, and make one or two foul shots. That would have been great, and maybe we win and we play Villanova in the next round. And uh, I had mentioned it to our guys. I said I, I, after we had lost to Villanova that year in the regular season, I said we're going to play them again and we're going to beat them the next time. And I really felt that way. If we could have gotten by Iowa, we would have beaten Villanova. But uh, that was also the year that they, they were national champions and had a phenomenal team. And I think what Villanova's done over the last seven years now has been just extraordinary, not only in Philadelphia but across the country. So, But it's just going back to your original question, you do the very best that you can every single day. And I just had to uh, give a talk to a bunch of young guys. And, and I believe this. I think that uh, at the end of day, when you finally get a chance to lay your head down a little bit, you, you reflect on what the day was like. And was I good enough today? Was I a good enough coach? Was I a good enough father? Was I a good enough husband? Was I a good enough uh, mentor to the guys that are on my team? Did I take care of enough people? And most days you felt good about it. There were some days, you know, I, I didn't do as good a job as I could have done today. Could have done more. I could have been better to this particular guy. I could have, I could have gotten into his head a little bit more than than I did. I, should, I could have understood what he was going through a little bit better, you know. So, I, I think we all we all take stock of it. And, what, and I think one of the, the great things we talk about, actually, in my class a lot too, is that you have to be able to strike this work-life balance this home life piece. And I don't know what your guys' status is these days. Of, of a couple bachelors here, Coach. Yeah, but soon enough you'll be having a family <laughs> and you're going to be, you know, am I, what kind of job do I have and how much time am I spending there? Am I going to take it home with me? And the reality is you can't. You can't do that. You have to leave it at, at work. And, and there's sometimes where you can't leave it. It's coming home. and uh, But you need an understanding family to take care of you and and understand that that's who you are and most times they're going to be really good and sometimes they're not going to be so good and you have to be able to, to deal with that. So, But it's that kind of thing, that, that reflecting and taking stock of your day and uh, it's important to do. Very cool. And that's great advice, you know, for us as, you know, we continue to grow and learn in this life, but um, obviously you're a legendary coach. You, you've been unbelievable here in Philadelphia. You've the all-time winningest coach, as we said earlier. Do you have some big five memories that really stick out? You know, big five games that came down to the buzzer, or, or coaches you've coached against, where it just, you know, every game you played, it was going to be close, no matter, you know, how good of a season you had or how good of a season they were having. Um, do any memories stick out? Yeah, I think for sure. There, there's a couple of my days at Penn. One would be a. Uh, one would be a, a really difficult loss. Another one would be, be a very important win. Uh, the loss was uh, to Princeton 
when we were up 27 points with 15 minutes to go in the game, and we found a way to lose. And uh, and you take that really personally. You know that was that was on me as a coach. Uh, there's no way we should have lost that game. But we went around the room and, and we owned everything. Every guy owned. I owned first of all. I could have done a better job of substitution, a play call, a defensive set, another timeout. I, I could have done a better job. And uh, we just went around the room and everybody said what they thought. I'd missed a one-on-one opportunity here. I didn't get that rebound. I, I should have scored that layup. And so we all owned it. And then at the end of that year, it was a, it was at the, our seventh league game. And when we played our 14th league game, we hadn't lost again uh, since that seventh game. And, and we went to the NCAA tournament. So I was very, very proud of that particular team because they didn't let that loss hurt us too badly. Uh, but it still was there. It stung. And then another time we, we actually played at the, at the Palestra against the number one ranked Temple team. And we win the game. And, and I can remember going into the, into the locker room afterwards and saying to the guys, you know, What's the big deal? Uh, so we, we should have won the game, you know, that kind of thing. And they all looked at me and, like, started throwing water at me and everything else, you know, busting on me a little bit. And I was just trying to make the point that, you know, we can beat a lot of really good teams if we all play together and we believe in one another. And uh, But those those two games stick out as uh, as pen games. And then, uh, you know, the, the uh, here at, at Temple, the, to win the first-round games against – uh, Penn State and against North NC State and to beat a Duke, to beat a Kansas, to beat a Tennessee, to beat Georgetown. That was another big game for us at home. And so there's, there's been a lot of really, really good wins. But uh, the most part, the wins that you really value are the, the fact that these kids come together and they they become a team. And that's the, that's the most important thing. So you mentioned the Palestra there. Is that your favorite court to play at? over the years, or are there other venues that may stick out in March Madness or other times throughout your career? Well, the Palestra is, is as a Philadelphian, I got a chance to watch games there as a little mm-hmm. kid. I got a chance to play there as a collegian. I got a chance to coach there at, as the coach at Penn. Uh, and it's Philadelphia's basketball arena, in all honesty, it, it is. Uh, and yet I, you know, it's, I was with one of my buddies, I brought him to the uh, Villanova game here at Temple, and he's looking around saying, this is just a terrific college basketball venue. And it is. It's great. It's a great venue. And of course, Center. Lee, of course. Center. Yep. And uh, we're lucky. We're lucky to have it. There's a lot of people who worked really hard to get that building built, and and I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And uh, the people at Temple have been great. So um, I'm grateful for that, that, the fact that they built what you had mentioned before about the, the third floor. Yeah. At, uh, the practice facilities up yeah, there, practice too. Yeah, the practice facility is great. Uh, we have the necessary ingredients in place here at Temple. and So I'm, I'm very grateful to what Temple has done as a university and, what it, again, what it means to this city. And I think we have a lot of really good things going on. Yeah, Temple's facilities really are, like, I always said they're the best in the Big Five, mm-hmm. like, for real. Because Nova's got, like, the, the the new fin or whatever. It's a strange gym. and. Mm-hmm. I wish Hagen, the now Hagen Arena, had just like kind of stayed the way it was in the field house because I heard it was just like more on top of each other. So I don't know. I always liked Temple's facilities. They were pretty nice. Well, I'm a big Mike Hagen fan, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm complaining. For him. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm just grateful saying. that he cared about his institution. <laughs> Come on. I understand that. No, I couldn't. I'll let you, you off the hook. Coach, <laughs> you, got, you got a good sense of humor, man. In fact, I was telling Ian. 
I, you don't remember this. The first time I met you, uh, I think we were in like the, the you know like the players' line shaking hands. But I was visiting our buddy Carl Aragale at Newman Gretti, who we were talking with off the air. They had played Archbishop Wood with John Mosco, who had just moved there to Archbishop Wood. And I was hanging with Carl afterwards, and we had seen you. And on Saturday, it was a Saturday, and St. Joe's was playing up at St. Bonaventure. And I, you had asked me, I was like, yeah, they're playing at Bonnie's right now. You know what you said? You said, oh, yeah, Olean. I spent a year up there one day. <laughs> I was like, damn, I got to use that, man. <laughs> I wish it were mine. I borrowed it from somebody else. Oh, really? I probably borrowed it from one of the coaches at St. Bonaventure. You know so. what? I, I got to be honest with you. I've, I've used that mm-hmm. a few times. Yeah. I have. You're cool with that. I got to come clean, man. I can't be there using you jokes like that. And, to, and speaking of St. Bonaventure, that guy who coaches there, Mark Smith, is he's as good pretty, as good as there is in the business. Right? Tremendous coach. Good man, but a, just an unbelievable coach. So I don't know. I, I, I always love seeing the Bonnies, especially like postseason. They're a dangerous, dangerous team. Tough to play up there, obviously. What are some teams that you kind of, I don't know if you've been, have you been following a lot? A lot? Do you see teams that might be some dark horses like a, like a St. Bonnie's or a, uh, maybe even a Dayton Flyers this year that's been real good? I don't know how much of a dark forward? horse Dayton Flyers are going to be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe very, like very that. highly. Who uh, they, uh, there's some, you tell me. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, your, your buddy at uh, Michigan, it looks like they're starting to really come on now. Tough Big Ten schedule. Yeah. Uh, then settled in. Penn right. State's playing very well, although they lost a couple of games this week. But yeah. uh, what, what they have accomplished has been pretty special. Uh, so it's it's wonderful to watch these teams that are coming together late in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, you know, the, I think this is one of those years that just about anybody can can come out, and there's going to be 10, 12, 14 teams that might really be the the top team in the country. Although. Uh, right now, Kansas and Baylor probably are playing as good as anybody in the yeah. country is. So, I, I don't think there's any odds-on favorite like typically you see. You know, somebody that's, that people are picking like crazy. I did have one of my classes the other night. I had Joe Lonardi come in and, and talk for. Uh, he's a bro of Castellum. We got him on here. Yeah, he's a good man. Time. Good man, and he was very animated that night. And not that he's not animated all the time. <laughs> he was great. Our kids in the class got a lot of big kick out of him, so it was fun. On the watch. Oh yeah, you guys got all your predictions in. Yeah, not really. But. So you mentioned um, some Villanova people throughout the podcast. They've kind of been pretty dominant here in the Big Five the past couple of years, and really in the country, winning two national championships in the last five years. Um, what do you think about the balance in Philadelphia, recruiting wise, program wise? Mm-hmm. Do you think that you know other teams like Temple, other programs have a chance to get hot like Nova has and kind of own Philly for a while? Yeah, I'd like to think that there's some cyclicalness to this. I don't know if that's a a word or not, but there is something that runs in cycles. And at this point, Villanova's really got it going on. And I have to give Jay Wright and his staff and his university a lot of credit for what they've done. They've done a terrific, terrific job. Uh, And I think there's some other programs in the city that are that are working really hard at it, and uh, and they're doing the very best that they can. The climate has changed. ESPN, ESPN has changed a lot of things. Opportunities out there are different these days. Uh, numbers of kids that are in the city these days playing that are pretty good, oftentimes they're looking at going elsewhere and out of the city. 
And so if we could ever get to that point where we do keep Philadelphia kids in the city more than we are right now, and I think that goes in cycles as well, uh, then I think we'd be, every school would be in better position because I think there's a lot of really good high school basketball teams in this, in this general area. Yeah, we got to tip your cap to you, though. I mean, you mentioned Khalif Wyatt, LaVoy Allen, all the guys. You know, Temple really did a good job maximizing mm-hmm. local talent here. You guys really did. Yeah, we tried. And one guy that you didn't mention just in your last thought, but I mentioned him earlier, was uh, Raleigh Hollis Jefferson, who, yeah, again, true. was, uh, you know, as far as having the opportunity to coach somebody who is just the ideal guy, he – one of the things that I would say, I would, I would hate to even hear myself say it every single day, but my request to them was always be the same guy every day. Come early, stay late, be attentive, uh, have your mind and your focus be really spot on as much as you can and not be uh, distracted by some of the other things that can go on as a, as a college yeah. student. And I think he was as, as regular a person every single day as anybody that I've ever coached and hmm. just so dependable and accountable so it's one of those things you just you know you get that rare guy like uh, Rallier who was just uh, just delightful a delightful guy to coach you did have special guys because I remember him from like Chester and you could just tell like he was a solid athlete, like didn't have the biggest side, right? He wasn't the biggest dude, mm-hmm. but he was just like athletic. I mean, I feel like Allen was the same way. He was at Pensbury, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Norristown with Wyatt, you guys, yeah, they maximized. Yeah, and uh, Khalif was a, he was a special player he as well. Was. He, was, <laughs> oh he was an extraordinary offensive player. Extraordinary. Yeah. He was smarter than most. And he was good. It took me a little bit of time to, to – for both of us to trust one another okay. wasn't one of those that just kind of the relationship was built right away and you were ready to go sure I, uh, I, I he, he was a challenge early on but luckily he stayed and everything worked out great Good but for him and I, I and a kid like Shiz Austin too another guy that I I probably could have given more ownership to sooner than I did he was from Philly yeah he also so he went to the Haverford school but okay uh, a Philly kid, and, and he played just like that. He was real smart, yeah. real tough. And and when you gave him the ball at the end of the game, he was going to make the right decision. So th- as a coach, that's what you're looking for. Give ownership. Give it to your staff. Give it to your team. Uh, and But you got to find the right moment to give it. When, when are they ready to go? And when they're ready to go, don't hold them back. Okay. And I, and Shiz was a guy who was, he just, he, he just grew to appreciate it to the point where, you know, at that four-minute timeout with – uh, just a few minutes left to go in the game. You're saying, okay, where do you want the ball? What do you want to do? Do you want this guy setting the screen? Where do you want the screen set? You want him rolling or popping, or what do you want to do here? So, and just give it to him and give him that that uh, that that confidence that uh, we're going to be fine because the ball's in his hands. Yeah. Was Khalif Wyatt the most gifted player offensively that you've coached throughout your years, or is there another? Player? Yeah, it'd be hard to say that there was somebody else as gifted. Although, you know, in a different way, Deontay Christmas was unbelievably gifted. He made a ton of shots. Uh, Ramon Moore was a great scorer and a terrific player and a really good guy as well. So, uh, I, you're asking me to um, to limit, you know. But if you're here for 13 years and you have some really good teams, then there's eras. You know, so that first era of Christmas and Mark Tyndale and, and Chris Clark was a great guy for us to, to coach, and now he's now coaching at Temple. Uh, but there, and everybody had their own way of helping the team. You know, Chris was a great leader without really saying a lot, but he did all the right things and he helped your team. Uh, 
little simple little things uh, that went on. Lavoie was just an extraordinary, extraordinary basketball player. So mm-hmm. he played six years and probably could have given a break or two or an injury less or two, he'd still be playing in the NBA. Yeah. Is there a player that you played against that really sticks out? It's like, wow, that kid was tough or that mm-hmm. kid was gifted offensively. We couldn't stop him. Well, not necessarily offensively, but overall a guy like Kawhi was – Sort of ridiculous when we played, but and you could just see it, and I, and but when we when we were playing him, he he wasn't getting a, a boatload of hype. He got good hype, but not a boatload. But you could just see there was something different about him. He just knew where to be. He made very few mistakes. The ball was in the right people's hands, and if it wasn't, it was in his hands, and he was going to score it and do whatever he needed to do. But there's a there's a bunch of guys over the years that were just extraordinary players and. Uh, you know, like Shake Milton played played at SMU, and now he's with the Sixers. He was a really good player, really good player. And most recently, a kid like uh, the kid Cumberland, who I watched play on Sunday, and he dragged his team to victory at uh, at Cincinnati. And so it's it's interesting stuff. Do I take that call or? <laughs> we got we got onions on the phone right now. Bill Raftery. Yeah. We got to get. You want to get him on, Coach? No. We're on the record. We can do that. We can do that. We'll see, and we can edit this, right? Yep. Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Raf, man, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Raf. I'm hitting, sitting here with two guys that they're, they're we're doing a podcast as if I was going to be a great podcaster, you know. So, uh, so now you're on the podcast. Do we have to pay you any rights to be on the. <laughs> <laughs> Nice bottle of wine, though, Yeah, good. How you doing? Uh, where are you doing it? Downtown? No, sir. We're in my office at Sullivan Hall, 113. Oh, okay. It's a beautiful okay. thing. One guy went to Temple, the other guy went to St. Joe's, and they're friends. Oh, they couldn't get into a good school like LaSalle, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't used that line yet, but I, I will, for those, sure. Those schools were my safe schools, you know? <laughs> Tell me the only joke, Coach. Tell me the only joke. Oh, yeah. But How I'm you doing? Out, I'm I'm out at Villanova, and I didn't know if you were up this way. I was just checking on you. Do you feel like meeting later? Yeah, I will. I will. What's uh, Brian? Yeah, where are you? Are you staying at? I'm at that Wayne Wayne Inn. Okay. And there's a little Italian joint around the corner. If you want to join me there, it'd be great. If not, what's your your timing? Um, I'm fine. I'm just going back now after practice. So whatever's good for you, let me know. Uh, you know what I'll do is I'm going to go over to, to Leacorce. There's a high school game over there. I'm going to see the second half of one and maybe the first half of the other. Is 8.30 or 9 o'clock too late? Yeah, that, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. All right, Just I'm going to call you. when you're ready. Yes, sir. All okay. right, you got say it. Say hello to the guys there. All right, you did. Co- Coach, hold us a spot, would you? I got like like chicken parm, man. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I don't even know the name of it. I just know it's around the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, no table cloths. It's great. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ralph. See ya. Bye-bye. Well, Coach Dunphy, I know you want to get to the games and, you know, we we're try to put this on the, we're going to have this on the broadcast. It's up to you. It's up to you. If you think it's good for you. And Sounds good. Oh, yeah. I it's just, awesome. I just have one more question for you yeah, before yeah. we wrap up. Go ahead. I want to get you And, out. you know, as a Temple coach, I have to say I was a big fan of yours, and I think a you're lot. You don't want to. Yeah, I'm the one. <laughs> sure he is, man. But there he I, is in I that think, elevator. <laughs> I think a lot of Temple people and a lot of Philadelphia people are probably still wondering if you have interest in coaching again. I would never say never to anything, 
be honest with you. Uh, it's not something I'm planning on or thought too much about. I, I've had an unbelievable career. Uh, I just I've met some of the best people ever in America, like Bill Raftery. Yep. Uh, so I, I've just been really a fortunate, fortunate guy. And, but I would never say no to to anything, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm not. It's not something I'm looking for or looking at or whatever. I just feel very fortunate that uh, you know you're tabbing me as the guy who won the, the most games in the city of Philadelphia. But the reality is I spent more years than everybody else did. <laughs> there would be a ton of guys that would have average wins per year that would be well above me, to include Coach Janney, to, to include Coach Wright. And, uh, but it's been, a, it's been an unbelievable ride, so I'm, I'm grateful, really grateful. And, and, again, when I reflect, and I reflect a lot, I, I walk a lot, and in my reflections I, I pinch myself thinking of how lucky I've been. And, you know, I think that's why Philadelphia loves you so much. You're Philly through and through. The Bro Love cast appreciates you. So thank you very much for coming on the Bro Love cast, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. Good to be with you.